What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are back on the desert island. We're going to be talking some comics, and I'm joined by one of the Launchpad roomies, Matt from Launchpad Podcast. How are you doing, Matt? You okay? Dude, I'm so excited to be here, and I love the way you say roomies. It's so fun to hear roomie said in different languages and different accents. So uh, we've been we've been pals for a while, and I, I I'm very excited to be here. Like I honestly take this as an honor. No, like, well, yeah, you guys came on like, way back when, like, quite a while back. We talked about uh, uh, we talked horror films and all kinds of bits pieces, and, and I've, you know, I've been on the launch pad many years ago, so it's it's great to have you finally back on um, now doing this as well and talking desert island comics and this is uh, you just before we started you have voiced the torture that i seem to be putting on people uh for this yeah it's tough man i mean i'm i'm writing an essay for you for something mm. different i am entrusted with the lives of children almost every single day i have my <laughs> own kid i have financial worries and you know my own show to worry about i in the last month have not spent more time thinking about anything. <laughs> and it's like, and you know, like, I guess we'll talk about it, but like pretty much two of my pulls for this, I, I got them pretty quickly. Mm. But that last one, it was like Sophie's choice of like, dude, you're going to be on an island with one issue. What are you going to take? And I was like, I purposely didn't write you right away because I had four or five. I read them. I thought about them. I spent the night with each one, you know, <laughs> <laughs> romancing them, teasing them out, seeing which one you want to spend time with. They were teasing me, man. Yeah. This seems to be the sort of this now seems to be the cause. Every time I've done this, everyone I've done this with has said the same thing. They're always coming back and like, that's the thing. It's like, oh man, yeah, the first one or two seem to come easy because it's like, oh yeah, that's one I've got to talk about. That's one. And then they're like, I've only got one left. Mm-hmm. And there are so many to choose from. Um, so everyone always wants to come back and be like, yeah, this was torture. So, but you choose, you did choose. You managed to whittle it down to three, three single issues. Whew. So what issues are we going to talk about today? All right. So we're going to talk about Watchmen issue 11. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Punisher Max. And if I was a better guest, I would have looked up the volume, but it's Punisher Max. It's the series after Born that Garth Ennis did with, um, uh, La Rosa did the pencils and yeah. Palmer did the inks on and we'll do issue one of that one. Yes. And then we'll do the last one will be ultimate Spider-Man issue 131. Yes. Which is so, still written by Bendis, but then it's when the new art gets taken over. Um, it's, it's, oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's an interesting book. Cause that's one of the, one, one of the things like, you know, the first two, like, you know, I've read, Red Watchmen number of times. Punisher Max one of my is one of my sort of like favorite series. Um, uh, to admit, I've never I, I've never read all of Ultimate Spider Man. Like I've read that like, the first couple of volumes. I think I've read the first sort of like forty issues, and never got beyond that. And also, 
the one you know one thirty one is part of Ultimatum, and by that point within the Ultimate Universe, like I was a bit like I'm done. So I'm like, sure. I sort of and you're not off. the only person that thought that. I totally mm. hear that. So it's interesting to go back and actually go. Oh, actually, this one for everything I've heard, like this is actually pretty good. It's not so bad. Mm. Um, but we are kicking off with a bit of a heavyweight, like. People, yeah, I, think, right? I think some of the others have been a little other people have had on this have been a little scared of picking an Alan Moore, you know, like a watchman or whatever. Uh, I know someone previously was, was dabbling with uh Swamp Thing mm, but to, to, okay. to, to dig into this, but like I say, because and also the, the issue pick, not the first issue, not the last issue, uh, and not yeah. issue five, is it the one that's sort of the mirror issue that sort of you know represents sure so you've got for issue 11. So, what why issue 11 then? Okay, there's a lot of reasons, all right? Mm-hmm. And to speak to what you just said about whether you pick Watchmen to to bring on that plane that's going to crash on this island. Yeah. My immediate thought was absolutely. I mean, you got to bring Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns or like, you know, Mouse, one of the top three or four. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, wait a minute. You're stuck on an island for however long with this comic. So I was like, Watchmen, if you really think about it, is depressing as shit. Yeah. Like for the, oh, sorry, are we allowed to curse on here? Yeah, I yeah, meant yeah, to yeah, ask yeah, you go, before. Okay, yeah, go for it. As <laughs> shit. Well, it's depressing, right? I mean, it. I. I'm gonna tell you right now, and this leads into why I picked eleven. I'm a Nazimandeus fan. I I kind of feel where he's coming from. I don't necessarily agree with every action he takes, but I love that character of. I'm going to put the burden of everything on my back and make the hard choices, you know, like in war movies and stuff, there's always that character star Trek, right? You know, the needs of the many, I, I love that trope and that concept in any sort of literature or art or entertainment. Um, But I immediately was like, no, Watchmen, Watchmen's a downer, man. I'm not going to read the same (laughs) comic on an Island. I want to kill myself. Then as I was searching through other books to, to talk with you about, I kind of came back to it and I thought about it and issue 11 holds special significance to me. This is the cover mm. of issue 11. Yeah, yeah, on this yeah, shirt, yeah. Right. Um, I, uh, I'll bury the punch. I'll bury, I'll bury the, the lead for a minute, but that issue for me is incredible. And when I first read Watchmen, I was working in film and I was based in Los Angeles and I was flying to different places, mm-hmm. but like last minute, and for a week and then coming back and then for two weeks and then coming back. So I was trying to read novels, couldn't get through them because it was just it was too much start and stop. So I was like, oh, I'll read a comic. And this was before I ever really was interested in comics. I really didn't get into comics until I was an adult. So I was like, what's the comic to go to? Watchmen? OK. And I was able to read pretty much right up to uh, uh, issue 11 and then didn't travel for a minute. So I didn't mm. get it for a while. And I ended up traveling without my copy, went to a Barnes and Nobles and read it on the floor. (laughs) Maybe it was a Borders, but I remember like reading it, you know, like a shady hobo in the store. And when you read that issue and you're like, oh, my goodness, one of the main characters, one of these guys, friends is the, you know, the the, the villain of the series, Mm -hmm. so to speak. It is a really good reveal that I didn't see coming. And then you have that baller watchman scene where they're like adrian we we have to try everything we could do to stop you and he's like stop me yeah you, you like you think this is a, a serial novel yeah I, I wouldn't i you think i would tell you my whole plan and i remember i had and i saw as that you know 
monologue was, or I guess dialogue was going where he's saying, do you think I would lay out my plan step-by-step if there was any hope that you could stop me? Mm -hmm. I did it 35 minutes ago. And I knew as he was getting there, I knew he was going to say it's already done. But when he said, I'm getting goosebumps now, just, just talking about it, but it's like, wow. Yeah. Wow. And I remember being like, holy shit. And that to me is actually the fulcrum of that book even though there's multiple points where you are supposed to either relate or not relate with different characters and decisions. I mean, to me, that was that vertigo shot where like they were, you know, zooming out and also panning out. And it was... Yeah. But the jaws one, so you zoom out, but it's yeah, exactly. Like... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that to me was like, I felt that sitting in that bookstore reading that issue, you know, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's, a, it's a, I read it earlier and I was going through it and you're right. And one of the things you say about, it being that sort of like the fulcrum, the turning point. It's one of those ones that like, the cliche is that would be the finale, that this thing would be the finale. They would give the plan and then sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, these characters, the hero characters would come in, save the day, and everyone would be, you know, would be happy and survive and sort of so on and so forth. But the fact is like, it's it's not even a delaying tactic. It's not like he's trying to delay them. He he literally is like, oh, it's done. I'm just telling you because I- You see him do it in that issue. You see him plug it in and there's no dialogue. There's no bubbles. There's no um, captions. There's no writing in that whole page. It's Mm. just a wordless page where he does it. And if you've read it before, you know, that's what he's doing. And there's there's a clock in the corner and you can see that that alludes to, you know, they, but it's unreal. I mean- Wow. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, there's the thing. It's, it's one of those. One of the things that hit me about this issue, because obviously it, it, it flips between two scenarios or two mm-hmm. locations. And so you have got like Vite in um, the, the, Antar- you know, in the Arctic and it's sort of all that's going on there, which is the main plot, you know, mm-hmm. the main sort of like, you know, I won't say superhero plot, but let's say the mystery men plot. And then it keeps going back to this sort of like the corner, this street corner in New York where stuff's going down. You know, you've got the um, the newspaper vendor, the little kid reading the sort of the um, pirate comics, uh, the couple, the, the lesbian couple that's sort of, you know, breaking up, uh, the doctor that's been looking after uh, Rorschach, him and his wife, and all this other stuff. And so you get this sort of... Um, this accumulation you know of of humanity sort of growing on this street corner mm-hmm. and you, you, they act like the thing i find with this issue is the stuff with vite and the thing, sort of like he's given his origin story almost you know he sort of says like right. how he how he came to that decision point but that's not the tension because you sort of know he's up to something you know this is like that you know the pigs up right right and in reading this repeat, you know, as I've grown older, you sort of, I realize that the tension is actually on the street corner. Because you know something's coming. Right. And you're watching this street corner and going like, well, why are they showing me these people? Like, I'm no, I know something's right, coming. Right, right. Like, and it's than- very hard to see where it's going until the end of yeah, that. Yeah. Because the way those people start of kind of start slamming into each other, both physically and metaphorically, mm you kind of can't plot where that trajectory is going. You don't know why all that action starts happening on that street corner, right? No, exactly. Look, they're, they're just, they're, there's three key, in, you know, there's, there's three sort of like main independent um, interactions going on, you know, and as they sort of grow, and the, one of the, it's, it's, the, it's the newspaper vendor that's the, like, he's the sort of, 
almost the, I don't know, the moral conscience, because he's a bit of a dick as well. But um, he's basically sort of saying, oh, yeah, everyone's fighting. Like, the more there's tension, the more people seem to right. be fighting. And he's sort of like, he is obviously like voicing, he's almost getting to the same point yeah. <clears throat> as Ozymandias. But he's like, well, no, we should just sort of, we need to get on. We need to join. We need to be more unified. Why are people fighting? And he's like, you know, that sort of like old man philosophical character that you've seen before. But he can't reach the same point as Ozzy Mandela. In the background, Ozzy's gone like, yeah, well, I've got an answer. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like, you're all for it. And so when you get to that final page, <laughs> and then you said, because the, the reveal is the first bit. And then you see sort of like the Rorschach and um, what's its reaction. And then the next page is just happening. And then in, in the final page, is sort of, it, go, it goes to white. But you see the newspaper vendor and the kid read the comics sort of like grab and hug. And you're like, that's the. Right. What a beautiful image. Like that's an image that gives me goosebumps and kind of chokes me up. And again, if you're reading that issue, that book, you know, the series, even for the first time, you don't know what that white is. Mm -mm. And there's many illusions prior about nuclear Holocaust and nuclear explosions leading to that sort of image. We've seen that multiple times in the book. So you're assuming there was some sort of explosion. You know, it's not good. Right. Whatever Mm -hmm. it is, because they start to it looks like they start to explode or kind of rip apart. But um, I love the 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 interaction and, and the foil back and forth between those two stories. But there's actually a third story there as well because you have young bernard the comic reader is reading the end of the black ship comic book right yes and he gets to the end of that now the black sail comic book like we all i think i personally i go hot and cold on it sometimes i think it's really important sometimes i don't and i probably read watchmen once every year or two Mm -hmm. sometimes i read that sometimes i blow through it when I'm reading this issue on my desert island, right, it for sure is important because it's one of those things as I'm reading it last night, and I do this every time I pick up a Watchmen book, I notice things that I didn't notice before. That last installment for us of that comic book is almost like a mirror of Ozymandias's thing or at least a foreshadowing because that journey is about this guy who's trying to get home to save his family from imminent doom. Yes. So he needs to get somewhere and do this thing to save innocence that he cares about. Right. Mm-hmm. And he ends up getting on in the previous book, he gets on shore and he ends up killing a couple that he in his overzealous state he assumes they're pirates he kills them but they're innocent he gets home and he almost kills his wife and he realizes at that moment holy shit does the ends justify the mean did i push too far and did i let my zeal and my lust for action taint the reality of the situation now when you then read the rest of issue 11 as well as issue 12 you can put Ozymandias in that exact same spot because I could have a four-hour conversation with you whether I think Ozymandias did the right thing or not in this series, and I honestly don't know if I know the answer to that. I just know that's a deep fucking question that you can kind of really make the argument for both sides. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think I think even, you know, Alan Moore has said things about this book, you know, uh, and some of the characters, like he has definitive thoughts on some of the characters and some of the thoughts. Sure. And then he has made it clear like there are other bits where he's like, 
Yeah, I wrote it, but I'm not even sure mm-hmm. like what it should be. Um, and it's it's the last panel. I'm not sure I've actually got it here. So the last panel of the comic, the the pirate comic, the kids reading. Because also I like the fact that the kid, the the newspaper vendor actually asks him. He says, "Why do you keep coming back and reading this same thing again?" And his first response is like, "Yeah, I have to keep reading it. It doesn't make any sense. Like I can't make mm-hmm. head or tail of it." Which is interesting, having had to read through it for twelve for eleven issues. Right, right, right. Um, but the final panel is like the 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 mariner is sort of reaching out for a rope to pull himself up onto this sort of the black ship, this sort of like ominous ship that's been there. Like he's retreated to the sea from these from his have you said like attacking his wife and stuff? And it says, The world I tried to save was lost beyond all recall. I was a horror amongst horrors. Uh, amongst horrors must I dwell. A rope snake down, spluttering, I grabbed it. Uh, and from the decks above, a cheer went up, both gross and black, its stench affronting heaven. And like you say, this is it. Like this is this is this question now to um Ozymandias is sort of like, look, what you think what you're doing is good. You have it. It's almost like the worst thing to do for the best possible intentions. But like you say, do the, do the ends just for the means? Um, has, he, has he become the horrors that he's actually trying to prevent and actually trying to sort of like, you know, um, d- d- defeat, as it were? Um, and the, the beauty of this book is then you read the next issue and even he, in my opinion, even he is not sure because then he asks John, he said, I did this for the right reasons and I did the right thing. And he even asks John, he's like, right, John? Yeah. And John doesn't answer. And you're like, oh, like <laughs> even even Ozymandias, who the whole book has been like, I am right. And this is tough. And he says, I felt every death. And I believe that. But even he is a man. He's the smartest man in the in the world. But he's still a man. Right. He's mm. still going to lose sleep over that. I think that's just fantastic. Yeah. I, 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 and I love the way he sort of because one of the interesting things about Oz, Ozymandias throughout the whole book, but even in this issue, especially in this issue, is the sort of the dichotomy of, of who he is of what he is because you see that like you said you know like the the, the ends just for the means or sort of like you know uh, sacrifice to feuds the few to save the many kind of thing um but there's he like you say he acknowledges this whole plan is to save people it's for the best possible intentions yet there's almost like a callousness as well to the way he kills those um three scientists that, that have helped him obviously sure yeah element. yeah yeah you know he drugs them and leaves them to the sort of the elements like he kills his his tropical garden and it, it's you and know refers to it as a reward he tells them i'm shamed that i don't have a better reward for you yeah and it's yes it's almost like it is it's, it's i'm not saying so psychotic but it's callous in that way of like you know that you've done this work for me and, and I'm now I'm going to kill you off to keep my secret. But, you know, it, it's, it's calculated, I think is the, mm-hmm. the only way to sort of, you know, the way I sure. think about it. Um, and, and so is that, is that logical? Is that Spock kind of approach, isn't it? They're like, well, logic is this, but can, mm-hmm. but then if you overlay emotion onto that, like it doesn't always calculate correctly. Um, I mean, it's so cool. And like, I, I mean, how many times do you think you've read Watchmen? Oh, at least, yes, six, seven. Right? Yeah. I mean, every couple of years, I'll pick it up again. And damned if I don't find at least one significant thing. Like last night, I'm rereading this issue again for the umpteenth time. And I noticed, and this is a little bit of a segue into why I chose this as a Desert Island comic. He 
is in love with Alexander the Great, right? Mm -hmm. He kind mm -hmm. of envies Alexander the Great. He looks up to him and he says, he says something like, um, he is one of the, uh, the, he is the only human that I feel any fraternity with. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but mm. he makes a claim like that. And it shows you how isolated and alone he is as a character in, in his contemporary world. And the only person he feels any kinship with is dead for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And he said, you know, he does this whole flashback or, you know, interlaced flashback where he says, I gave away my fortune to show that I didn't need money and I didn't want to be preoccupied with money. I followed Alexander the Great's triumphs around. I even did some things that he couldn't do. Um, that to me is amazing. I noticed last night in all those flashback panels, you never see Ozymandias' face. It's always Adrian's back. Yes. And I noticed that. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting, right? And I, it, it's got to be on purpose. I just yeah. thought that was really cool. It said either way, whether it was done on accident or on purpose, it's fun to think about. It's fun to think about what the significance of that is, or at least how it makes you, the reader, feel, right? Well, more than that, I think you, I think you are right, because no, nothing, nothing is coincidental with Alan Moore. Let's be, with those, let's yeah, be right? Um, more than that, I'm looking at the panels now, because um, it's more than just his back, because it's, it's always like that nine-panel grid, isn't it? Sure, yeah. Mostly, they'll usually have like a block one. <clears throat> it's actually him center panel in shadow, not just his back. It's in shadow. It's a silhouette sure. every time. You're right. Yeah. And they, they slightly adjust the silhouette to extensuate. So he's a child. He's at the grave. He then sort of traveling the world doing these things. The last one, which is really interesting, as you sort of say, you know, cause he's, he's, he's traveling around Egypt. The last one is him adorning himself with the Azimandias. Costume. And that's the only one that looks slightly different, right? Yeah, and that's where it's sort of like there's more color and stuff added into him. The silhouette is is no longer just a silhouette; it's actually got color and some slight color into it. So, no, I think you can. I think you're right. Like this is, it's there to depict. Um, because well, what I would say is, they're all black and white, or they're all black. He is black until he mm -hmm. actually has the one where he has the trip. And he says, um, he took it. What was it? Um. They went to the desert and took a, ate a ball of hashish I'd been given but in Tibet, and he has this vision of mm. talking to the gods and the wind and all this other stuff. And that's where it transitions to colour with him and then the one of him but the costume. And so, no, you're right. It is like this thing of like... So real, cool. Yeah, him, him being able to... This, this journey is what makes him realise who he is to be and, this, the, and, you know, who he is to become. Um, that that factored a lot into my decision to put the... You know, to bring this to the island mm. because... The good news or hard news is I know that you're stranding me on an island in this situation. <laughs> so, like, I'm packing for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, I was like, well, like, part of me was like, shouldn't I put it like a survival comic in there? Like something that specifically talks <laughs> about, like, how to make fire and shit in the jungle. So I tried not to think about it like that. However, if I'm going to have something to escape to, to learn from, to entertain myself, I also was trying to pick something that had an undercurrent of not necessarily heroicism, mm. but in this case, you know, put your fucking boots on and get going. And he wanted to be essentially the best. Like this issue is him about is about him being the best human he can be. And he literally throws off the trappings of humanity mm. to be the man he wants to be. And I felt like, okay, if I was crying on an island because I didn't have any food and shit like that, that might be an inspirational, motivational type of thing that I could be like, all right, 
if this fictional character yeah. that was never actually alive, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like, okay, I can get my shit together. And I have more than one pick on this list that is like that. Um, but this for me is like, I, I really like that he is able to detach himself from his emotions and his feelings enough to be like, what does this job need? Mm. What needs to happen? And if my ass is stranded on an island, I need a little bit of that kind of thought process in my head. No, I agree. yeah, it is. I think that's a really good point, actually. I'd say because you know, if anything, Ozzy is sort of like he's dedicated to the cause, like he's committed to the cause, like he's going to do it, whatever it takes. Um, and you know, he'll he'll is he inspirational? I don't think he's aspirational. But like you say, there's an element of inspiration of like, you know, if you were to say, you know, I'm going to be committed to doing this and I'm going to you know, have that drive and that goal. So, yeah, it's you do when you, you know, when you see people at the top of their game, like athletes or sort of like sure. performers and you do hear the story about they committed to this. They spent hours rehearsing and hours training. You go, yeah, right, fair play. Like you really, you know, you're that sort of story that you want to hear. So I can see it from that sort of point of view. They don't get to kill the world. But, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, I'm going to be on an island by myself, so my, <laughs> I probably won't be able to do that much killing. But the one thing I would say is that's interesting is because this book obviously sort of is a, is a deconstruction of the you know, super heroic sort of comics up until this point, the mid 80s. This is this issue, though, also is the you know, you say about the fulcrum to me reading this. It was also the fulcrum of that theme <clears throat> because you sort of have. Um, you know, um, I was going to keep calling him Owl Man. I can't remember really what is Night Owl. Night Owl, thank you. Quite went out of my head then completely. And <laughs> Rorschach obviously approaching this, this you know, um, Arctic base, this sort of like villainous looking thing. You know that it's it can't be. You know, if you're going to be a Bond villain, not one, this is sort of like you're going to have it in some <laughs> obscure place on the world. But it has all this the, the trappings of them doing it, and as the story unfolds. You know, like Rorschach attempts to attack him from behind, and it's sort of like clear that that's a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. And they try to take him down. He then just basically outlays this whole thing of like everything you're doing is pointless, right? You know, yeah. explain, you know everything you're doing is is, is 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 puerile and silly. You know, I thought it was possible at one point, but no, I elevated above. And even like the comedian, he's like, no, once the comedian realized what I was doing, like even he knew that his what can you do? Yeah, exactly. What's he going to do? What's the place for people like that? Um, and so it, it, it's, and that's what I think the beauty of this book overall is it proposes that question of like, yeah, so super heroics really are just, is, is almost like a status quo. Mm-hmm. It solve anything. You know, and Ozzy Mandeus is looking to create an actual solution. But as you sort of said before, like, you know, but you have to be brave enough to then bird, carry the burden of making the decision to, to actually fulfill that solution. Um, so, yeah, th- this this issue does feel like the real true gut punch of the book. Yeah, for sure it is for me. And um, it's always been one of my favorite issues. Like I said, you know, I when I read it, I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't even into comics. So, mm. it, you know, my first read probably didn't impact me as deeply as my later reads, because then I started to know more comic tropes. I started to know more modular characters and stuff and started to understand more of what this book is, 
poking fun at, satirizing, turning on its head. But I certainly knew enough about it when I read it to feel this, you know, to feel mm. that last four pages. God, like my wife, who knows nothing about anything cool with the possibility of me, you know, the possible <laughs> exception of me, yeah. she would understand that like, oh, shit, yeah. he's a supervillain that already did the shit that he's jibber jabbering about. And it's like, I'm sure that's been done after. Maybe it's been done before, but never so eloquently for sure. And certainly not in, like you said, a gut punch where you're the reader like, oh, shit. And at that point, <laughs> we don't even know what he did. Right. Yeah. Because at that point, we don't know what it is. Well, he explains it was the, that he was made a monster and he does explain what would happen. But we don't quite understand the ramifications or let alone the visuals of what that was. Yeah. Look All like. he says is like, we've invented teleportation, but everything you know, explodes. But then we create this monster and that's going to explode. And all you sort of go is like, right. So it's going to be an explosion. So you're sure. thinking like, oh, boom, that seems to be enough. But like that's that last page. Um, is it, you're like, oh, this is more than an explosion. Like this right? is. Um, and, I, you know, it, one thing I'd say is, is, you know, this was what, 80, 86, I think. Yeah, 86. Those final or images. Six. Yeah, those final images of the sort of you said they're being sort of vaporized and it goes to white like just white light this thing um some years later you know reading it now in retrospect like i'm sure i don't know it feels a bit like you know the terminator 2 vision that sarah connor has where she's watching yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. when that nuclear blast goes off and it's all oh, that's a bit more graphic but like it, it has that impact where I'm just sure. like, th this is sort of like, you know, that destructive. Um, yeah. W one thing I want to say, just to sort of throw it out there, we're talking about the writing stuff, but uh, it, it's, you can't talk about this without talking about Dave Gibbons' art. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I, I was curious, I was, I was interested in what you think, because his, his sort of clean line work on this and just the way he does this book. Um is so effective and again like this you know this this for me because it's so clean and sort of it feels grounded like it never feels but you know bombastic in any way sure and and that sort of lack, lack of bombast sort of um gives more to the gut punch because it's not sort of like you know frank miller sort of like dramatic massive muscles and, and sort of like big sure, sure. lines or anything like it's it's controlled and it's sort of like you know a bit more um him and like I've often akin to him to like Brian Bolland, that sort of sort of style of art. But what what, what were you going to say about the art? Then what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's the way you described it as not bombastic is great. I mean, look at the the cover, right? This is the cover of the shirt. Mm. The, oh, sorry, the cover of the shirt. That's the cover of the issue. Is the butterfly? Yeah, it's like what? And it's the butterfly. We know that this is a snow dome, or you know, a glass dome, you know, atrium that is covered by snow, and this is just a glimpse into it. You don't know that until you start reading it. But like, unless you've read the other issues, you don't have a context. But if I saw this book, I might not pick it up, but I might look mm. at it, and if I saw the cover, I'd be like, the "Fuck, is that book about?" Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it stops me. It makes me think. Um. I don't hate the movie. I don't mm -hmm. think the movie's great, but mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think you can make a really good film of this. Maybe as a, a TV series, like a mini series. But part of the problem is a lot of this book is superheroes standing around talking. Yes. And that's not bad when you have 
Alan Moore's writing with Dave Gibbons art because Gibbons art makes that believable. And like you said, if they were posing the whole time, it wouldn't feel right. If they were having those conversations while stopping crimes, which the movie has them do for a scene, it doesn't feel right because it's two mm -hmm. different worlds. Gibbons is more than just an artist. He's a storyteller. Yes. And I feel like any good visual artist yeah. is that. But when you look at a book like this, like you, you mentioned issue number five with the symmetry, like to plot out panels by panels like that, to have so many callbacks in this 12 issue series that goes back and forth where you're like, you know, on my seventh read, I'm like, wait a minute, that's a direct parallel to an image I saw and you're like, holy shit, this really is genius. Like it really is. This is one of those things. And I hate to like subscribe to something, everything or something everyone already is subscribed to, but <clears throat> this is one of those books that I personally don't think could get enough credit. It deserves, in my opinion, almost every accolade and every praise that it gets because every time I read it, I'm astounded and I'm wowed. And sometimes it's the words, sometimes it's the images, sometimes it's just the plotting, you know? I mean, it's just fantastic. And it, it is, we all know this art, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's iconic. I mean, some of the images in this have become iconic, haven't they? That's the thing. It's it's that thing of like, but what, one of the things as well is like, say, it's even like just the attention to detail. You know, you you, mm -hmm. you 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 mentioned the sort of the cover, the sort of the thing with the butterfly on. And again, you could be like, you know, oh, okay, well, we're going to just do this and, and you know, whatever. But as you sort of like, even looking at that, you're like, no, it's, re it's really well done. It's beautifully drawn just for this single sort of image. And like, as again, as you notice, you said cover coming back, you see the butterfly and it's a gap in a snow dome. It's in the shape of the blood splat mm -hmm. that appears on the um, the badge from the very beginning. So there's all these cool medium button, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So technically, this is brilliant. But the other thing as well is I, I love about this is because of the I think because of the way he does the lines and everything. It's it's quite simple and clean in many places. It's just the expressions. Like it's yeah. never it's never unclear what well unless they, they intend it that way. It's never unclear what people are thinking. And, and that's not just primary for um, people in the forefront, like people in the background. Like he has given, he gives, you know, you can see there's characters in the background and you can see that they've been given expressions as well. Like they're not just sort of like, you can't really see these so two dots and a mouth, you know, it's mm -hmm. <clears throat> like they've all got, he gives it attention throughout. Like he said, like he's a storyteller, like everything in the panel I'm not saying means you know means something, but like it's it's there as for a purpose, and so he's going to give it its due attention and due sort of like. Look at the props uh, and the settings, right? I mean, yeah, they're smoking different types of cigarettes, and they never explain it. It's just there. They have those spark hydrants for electric vehicles. They never fully point you there and hey reader look everything is electric do you get that this is an alternate future every it's just there but it's thought out the fact mm. that there are fire height or hydrants around that have electricity for electric vehicles that look similar to the vehicles that we both have now and had in the yeah. 80s but like it's just enough that it's and i think that's part of the reason why we like alien and we like star wars because there are these fully formed universes mm. you know sometimes you watch a movie and you feel like the movie just exists in that four 
you know, line screen that you're watching. But Star Wars is a fucking universe, right? Like when you watch Star Wars, you know that there are galaxies worth of ships and shit flying around. You feel it. You know that people have walked on the floors of the Millennium Falcon, you know? I think this is the comic version of that, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, this is a world. It's a lived-in world, isn't it? Like, you know, everything feels authentic. Um, especially when you look, at, especially when you look, you see the city, that that New York corner. You know, lot life has existed between the panels on that corner, mm-hmm. and I think and all of that sort of yeah, because of that, and I think this is the skill of both the writer and the artist. But because of that, because you do feel that that is a real world, because it has got that impact, that means at the end of this issue is more of that thing where you go, oh, shit. (laughs) Like People just got people just got killed. Like something happened here. Yeah. Like, you know, and we live in a we live in a uh, HBCs, but we have lived in a world now like post like major tragedies, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you do sort of go, you see the end of this now and you go, yeah, like we've seen things like this you know not just a sort of like the ira bomber we've seen like massive tragedies now and you go yeah all right i think we we now live in a world where well, other parts of the world have lived in a since sort of the, the second world war but like you know we can now sort of go yeah no that that event i'm pretty sure would be would be you know would change the direction of history sure absolutely i mean it's literally a worldwide event right mm. So, yeah, so no, so I think, you know, I'm going to sort of keep moving because you could talk about it for hours. <laughs> can I, can I t- say one more thing about the art? Of course you can, yeah. You have, you have the image here, right? Or you have the book there, I got right? I book there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you go to the supplementals, not supplemental, but the anecdotal stuff at the end of issue 11 where there, it's like a Rolling Stone interview of Ozzy Mendez? Yes. Can you, would you mind, are you, are you going to put this on YouTube? Uh, quite possibly, I'm not sure yet, yeah. But what have you, what, put your put your your image of that where he's standing there with the the, oh, the, the tunic the over his shoulder. One. Yeah, yeah. Check check this out, okay? Humble brag. <laughs> that no is way. the original art for that page. That's and impressive. It's, it's on my it's on my wall. I got it, and I actually got to tell Gibbons about it after interviewing him uh, about Batman vs Predator. Mm. And uh, he was like, oh, cool. He's talking to me about it. And then he was like, I got he and I've, I've talked to him multiple times. He tells the same story about him getting his like grail page. But like the fact that. Even if you don't buy into Watchmen being as great as it is, you can't argue that it is historically important to the medium. Yeah, I also do relate and love that story. And I think it is every bit as important, like I said, and the fact that issue 11 is like probably my favorite issue from that. And I got art of it of, I mean, I'd love to have a character shot. I kind of would like to have a regular interior panel page, but to actually have this and there's like an ink wash on it with duo shade and stuff. I, it's um, beautiful. It is. It's stunning. I mean, it's, yeah. And that's, a you know, and Bubastis in there. And yeah. It's a little bit bigger than the cropped image in the page, but like, I mean, I have original watch. And I, you, I think you and I have talked about it before. I have a lot of original art. Yes. This is one of the six pieces I have on my wall. So it is, it is up there. Special. This is one of the ones no one ever asks about it because how are you going to get that? How are you going to take that from me? You know, like, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to, you're not going to offer me a dollar amount. You're not going to offer me a page or uh, yeah, something. Yeah, that's like that. turning up and being like, um, that, that Monet you have um, yeah. over there, sort of like, you know, how much would you be? No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and, it's. And, I'm really excited that to, that I own that, that cool. had it for that like is, five six years. 
That is super awesome. And like I said, that's a grail piece. Like that's one of the things you sort of search yeah. out. That probably, if I was on a desert island with that issue, I'd probably cry thinking about this. Because if I was on a desert island, my wife would sell that shit immediately. Yes. Immediately. <laughs> and she'd probably undersell. Yeah. A tenner? Of course, you can have it for yeah. a tenner. Yeah. It's only been around for a while. Um, right. So any last final thoughts on, on Watchmen 11? If you haven't read it yet, get out there. <laughs> yeah. Re- read the whole book. But yes, I think... I, I'd be amazed if the people that are listening to this podcast, if they haven't read Watchmen. Yeah, if you don't know. There'll be some. There'll be some young whippersnappers. Cool. Think about, think just think about his decision. And if you think he did the right thing or not. And even if you're not talking to another person, talk to yourself about it for a minute and try to do both sides of the fence. Because I think I can come up with pretty good arguments for both. And I think that's like the beauty of comics is like, you could read it. I, I mean, any art, but you could read it. I could read it. We have different takes, but like you could philosophize about this shit, about this specific issue. I mean, all day. You'll hold yeah, on the show on that. You see, you can do the morality of the right and wrong of the decision, but there's also, as you made the great point of like, if you did make the decision to do it, could you bear the weight of that decision? You yeah. Know, could you, could you actually do that as a human being? Yeah. No, do go check it out. Right. We are skipping forward a couple of decades um, to, uh, some Garth Ennis and Punisher Max. So tell tell us about Punisher Max. Why I chose Punisher Max number one? Okay, this is important, and it, it it also has to do with my next choice too. I mentioned earlier I didn't read comics till I was an adult. I was working on I Am Legend with Will Smith in like 2006, I think it was, and I was living in Los Angeles. We I was working in special effects. I did practical effects, so we we're building like puppets and monsters and shit, and you know makeup effects. And I flew with a team to New York with Watchmen in my hand mm-hmm. and I back and forth a while. And eventually they're like, Hey, you're going to go there and you're going to, you're going to live there for three months and just, you know, head our operations there. Cool. Great. I got paid a lot to not have a lot to do and just walk around New York city, found a great fucking comic book store called Midtown comics. They have mm. multiple satellites now, huge store. And I went in with just fucking money to burn because I had money and I didn't, I wasn't working a lot on set. So I'm looking around and there was a hardcover or actually it was a trade paperback for this volume of Punisher Max. And it was the first six issues, I think. Yeah. And it, the, the, the trade cover was actually the cover for uh, issue two, I believe, where he's in a, a leather jacket a in what looks on. like a men's room. Yeah. With all the red laser aimer mm. dots all over him. And I was like, hello. And I pick up this book. <laughs> Because I'd read comics as a kid, but never full series, really. Like, just here or there. Like, you're in the, you're in the supermarket, and I beg my dad for a book. And Punisher was always like, uh, I'm going to let you go with a message. You know, <laughs> you're lucky. I'm not going to kill you this time. Or, you know, he'd shoot up a room of people. But, but like, you know, not, it wasn't very violent, per se, like what we're used to, especially now. But that cover said everything. And, you know, it was a Brad, Tim Bradstreet cover. Mm. So I was like, Okay, you know, it was $10. $10 meant nothing to me in those days. (laughs) I brought it home, and it was a Marvel Max, and I didn't know what that was because I wasn't reading comics. Marvel Max, for those of you who don't know, is essentially Marvel's R-rated line. You get a little bit of nudity, you get lots of motherfuckers, and blood and violence and guts galore, which suits Garth Ennis Punisher (laughs) to a fucking T, right? So when I start reading this story... It 
opens with him graphically describing the park shooting where his family gets you know massacred. And then he says, every night I go out and do the same thing. I try to make the world sane again. And there's this bitchin' splash of him with this almost like bird-like looking Punisher skull. And I'd seen different Punisher skulls through the year, but this was so different than the normal Punisher skull. It just made it that much more like, I don't know, real. Like I felt like he would have spray painted that shit on the shirt himself. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think one of the things is, is you know, one of the things to highlight with all this is up until this point, we'd had Punisher in like black, a black onesie. Superhero costume. Yeah, yeah. White pajama suit. Yeah, white boots, white gloves. The skull, the bottom of the skull was the, uh, became the, you know, the belt became the teeth and all the stuff. containers, yeah. Yeah, and all that stuff. So it, it was, it was a superhero costume and it was always fine. And you'd had, a, I think the 90s had had a couple of, of runs where the violence had been pushed, but it was mm-hmm. always within that Marvel. Safe, um, it was safe. It was relatively safe. A little candy coated, right? Disney-fied almost. Yeah, exactly. This was the first time for me, I remember this. I remember this coming out. I was again. I I was sort of re-entering comics around this time. I'd sort of been dabbling a little bit, and this is one of the things that again I came across at the, the comic shop. And you're like, ooh, open it. And you're like, fuck. This is like. Yeah. But you say he doesn't wear a costume. It's a t-shirt or a um, mm-hmm. a bulletproof vest that yep. has got the skull on. But then he is just wearing like combat boots you know, or uh, uh, jeans or you know. Uh, combat trousers and a leather jacket and gloves like it's just a costume like it's so it's not a costume it's just clothes that he has modified like he's he wearing tactical shit he yeah. puts that death's head on there for you know i don't know that that series ever specifically states why he puts the skull on there multiple series in the movie and everything give it different explanations you don't need an explanation it doesn't fucking matter but i totally agree with you i like my punisher with you know, tactical gear on. I like him wearing gray cargo pants. Yeah. I like when he wears those like Lobo style gloves with the things folded back or just barehanded and trench coats. You can never go wrong, but you know, not really the most tactical garment, but like fucking who cares? Mm. I certainly like it better than the, you know, the, the head to toe suit, the white and black suit. (laughs) It makes more sense. It feels less silly and it feels more grounded. And he's in gritty New York city. And this book made me realize as a as a a medium holy shit comics can talk to adults i didn't i mean i knew i knew that but this is the first time that someone was like hey matt corrigan who knows a lot about horror movies and action movies and you have a certain taste and you have certain expectations check this out Mm. and the the first real scene of the book he goes to a uh, uh, Mafia Don's birthday party. It's his like yes. 90th birthday. It's, hundred. And it's his 100th birthday party. It's amazing. And it, you know, it's this huge castle-esque <laughs> New York looking house, like, you know, in, the, in Long Island or something. And he's stalking the house as he's saying, you know, all these great inner monologue things about how all these wise guys are here for the birthday. They're not even any guards. It takes me, you know, everyone's inside. It takes me 10 minutes to set up and then I go in too. And you are like 10 minutes to set up. He literally walks in, shoots the Don in the head and walks outside. And as he walks outside, he's saying 30 seconds for shock. And it shows all the mafia guys. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. 30 seconds to get pissed. We got to get him. 30 seconds to come outside. And that's all I need. 
And they run out and they're like, you motherfuckers. And there's like a half page splash of him with an M60 just letting loose. And I remember on that page being like, this is the veteran army guy who knows how to kill people doing what he's supposed to be. This is what the Punisher is supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. So the next eight pages are just him killing every fucking mafia guy in this building. And he's talking about only now while spraying automatic fire into a human wall, do I feel anything like peace? And you're like, whoa. Then he's, you know, he's, he's got essentially like he's made himself a little machine gun nest. And he says, some, some of these guys have seen too many movies. They're trying to flank me. And as he's explaining this, you see these mafia guys going around this bush to try to get behind him. And there's close-ups of their feet. And he (laughs) says, most mafia goombas are just one part muscle, you know, only good for shaking down people less than them. He said, you know, aside from that, they're just children groping in the dark. And it shows a a, a landmine. Mm. And then it says, just little children groping in the dark. And then you turn the page and there's an explosion (laughs) as all these guys go flying. And I just remember being like, how fucking deadly would he be? Like, if his job is killing mafia guys, there can't be a mafia guy alive that would stand a chance. He would have that set up. And, you know, if you've read the Garth Ennis run, mm. Garth Ennis does that. There's a lot of traps. There's a lot of tactical thinking of, like, kill zones and stuff like that. And it just, this this scene of him massacring an entire organization in one scene And he says, I have, you know, I put another belt in the M60 and mow through the crowd, you know, the dead bodies in the ground just to make sure that there are no survivors. And you're like, holy shit. He says, says, aims and he moans. So the moment he hears it, he's just like. And it's like, if your family was killed and you had this vendetta that you were only going to kill bad guys, wouldn't you kill all the bad? Like. How, what better way to do it than to kill every freaking bad guy, right? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's the efficiency of it, isn't it? It's just the sort of the pure efficiency. What I would say is, is, is like you say, that opening scene there, that opening sort of like couple of pages, because this is issue one, right? Yep. And so the, the very, very first, called In the Beginning, um, and I'm not That's the spoil- story title. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to, you know, it, it, it's called In the Beginning. But it's actually more about an end, isn't it? Because it's about micros being sort of like recruited to try and sure. bring it down. But the very first page is the tombstone for his wife, daughter, and son. And it's it, one of the things it clearly states very, very quick or very shows very, very quickly is they all died in 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book was originally published in 2005. Yeah, early 2000s. Yeah. So this 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 first page instantly tells you, right? These people died in seventy six. He became the Punisher in the seventies. He's been doing this for um, thirty years, mm-hmm. and so like you know, and so I love the fact that like when you then go into it, like he's not as as often is depicted by you know superheroes or all that sort of like peak. 30 yeah. sort of age forever, yeah, forever thirty two with yeah exactly bills yeah. and live forever. And th- so this is like a proper grizzled older dude. This guy's in his late fifties and all that sort of stuff. And I love the fact that you know he, the the art. We'll talk about the art shortly. But the fact that like, thirty years over this this incident of like him remembering the tortured face of his kids or his, his daughter, the sort of like you know the the look of fear and sort of bewilderment mm-hmm. in his wife's eyes, 
And then the, the, when he talks about his son, like his son just drops. And right. He's like he's desperately looking for like an entry wound, and he says, "Never found the entry wound. It went through his open mouth." And you're just like, "Yeah, like, you're like, okay, this this book is not softballing anything in here. No, right? no, this book is not messing around." And so you, and it shows like a younger looking Frank, and then it's just like, this is what he's looking to purge himself of, and it's like the fact this is burned him for thirty years. I mean, it, it never justifies him. It never sort of says. That that act, you know, in some cases they've tried to sort of justify it, haven't you? This, he's look, he's out for revenge. He's always out for this. After this book's like in Ennis, it's, I mean, you know, you if you read Born, you get more of it. But they're never trying to sort of like justify him. It's just like no, that happened, and that's what sort of like instigated this, right? And now he just sort of does this. <laughs> well, Ennis specifically in Born and in other books, kind of almost flat out says, let alone insinuates that this incident kind of awakens the yes. monster inside of him, right? He gets a taste for it in Vietnam, realizes he likes it and he's good at it. And this, and and, and multiple, even Jason Aaron in his later Punisher Max run, which I, mm. uh, they specifically say that part of Frank was looking for an excuse to yes. live like this. So, but like, however you, you want to take it, you're right. And even... In in the couple pages after he um talks about his family getting killed in the first couple of uh, first couple pages of this issue, he says the shooters are killed, their targets were killed, his soldiers are killed, the guy who ordered the hit is killed. <laughs> yeah, and he said, and he says maybe hundreds, maybe thousands more, but still every night I go out and try to make the world sane again. Yeah, and it's like. Um, my, so I'm a, I didn't, I didn't really drop this at the beginning, but I have a show myself, the Launchpad podcast with my forever roomie, Aaron McLean, hmm. and he's a huge fan of, pun of, of everything, everything that we're talking about. He loves all this shit too. Punisher is his guy as well. And we have always said there have, has not yet been a great Punisher movie. There's been one that's okay. We both are huge fans of the Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. The other ones, the other two have tons of fucking problems with them, in my opinion. But we keep saying Punisher should be like Jaws. When you watch Jaws, Jaws is not taking care of, a, of another shark. Jaw, hmm. you're not, they're not giving you a reason why Jaws is doing what Jaws is doing. Jaws is a shark. It kills yeah. people to eat them and, and defends itself. And, you know, be, be's a shark. Yeah, that's what Punisher should be. He, you shouldn't be telling me why he's upset. You shouldn't be telling me who his relationships are. I mean, I understand to have contemporary American cinema or storytelling. You need some dialogue and stuff like that. But then you read an Ennis run where he doesn't really talk to most people like you have the uh, detective soap that he talks to and most mm -hmm. of that shit. But you can lift that out and still have the same thing. And I don't think any of us love soap as a character or foil or anything. You just have Punisher going in there like a shark doing what sharks do and leaving. And that's I mean. I guess I was going to say you can't read 100 issues of that, but I feel like I could maybe not in a day, but. No, but that's what you that's what the, that. that's what the Ennis run is. I mean, yes, Ennis run. What, it's sixty-two issues for the max, and then you've got Born on top of it, and I think there's another sort of side issue, a sort of side collection. So it's, it's easily over seventy issues. For, and it's and Ennis's Marvel that. Knights run is great too, even yes. though that is not as bloody no, or between, on the nose violent. It? Yeah, but I mean, I don't think the storytelling suffers, and I still think it's the same Frank. Like I think you could easily see 
that those are the same Punisher characters. Yeah, just definitely. one has less motherfuckers. Like that's yeah, and, and blood, one, that's it. Yeah, and the Marvel Knights one gets to punch polar bears, um, which is fun for all, all involved. Um, but yeah, but no, the thing with this is, as well is like you say. The, well, the problem with the problem with the Punisher is like you say compared to other superhero other heroes is they are they are a protagonist. They're they're an aspirational character for the most part. Like you know, even like Batman. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, just about he's a billionaire, just was about beats up people and whatever. You can make that into a story. Superman, Captain America, I mean, the MCU in particular, sort of like is driven by this idea of aspirational people. But the Punisher, you can't make you, you, if you make him, um, like you say, the protagonist, you, they, they sort of have to make him redeemable, they have to make him think, but he's not. Mm-hmm. And that's right. why I was like, when you have the comics, and like even some of the other runs that have had have been good but like they're constantly trying to make him almost human they make him redeemable right which is fine but he's at his best when you're like no he like you said he's a shark he's just a machine like it's like following the terminator but from the terminator's point of view (laughs) like right right it doesn't make a great film yeah yeah and you know it's Um, almost like you think i was gonna say john wick like you watch john wick and the first 15 20 minutes they set up his life and what he has it's taken away from him and it turns him to revenge if you were to have him multiple times throughout that movie talk to someone about the dog or look at pictures of the dog or watch videos of the dog and like we're laughing but like i can think of three movies off the top of my head that have your revenge character or your you know action driven character stop the revenge for a minute to watch wedding video because they're trying to show us that this is the reason first of all you already fucking set that up in the first act i get it and you're stopping the kick ass to show that that i don't need that refresher but you're right i understand thematically and as a device what the storytellers are trying to do there punisher is not the character you need to do that he's the last character i can think of that you need to do that with right I agree. I think, you know, I think films have sort of, there are films that have given us a glimpse of what a Punisher film could be. Sure. You, you yeah. mentioned like John Wick. I think of like The Raid, um, mm-hmm. Redemption or, or Dread. Um, that thing of where you basically just set it up and you're like, are you ready? 45 minutes of violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I always say to Aaron, like, our guts are like, just more fighting. But then you think of like the first 30 minutes of Revenge of the Sith and it just gets mind numbing. Right. You Mm. think of some of them, in my opinion, the Marvel Universe movies, uh, the MCU, as well as like some of the Fast and Furious movies. They're kick ass. But 20 minutes into the same chase scene, your brain and your eyes kind of wander off. And that's not your fault. That's the story's fault for not keeping it engaging. But I'm always like, you can't do I mean, I want that. My gut wants that for the Punisher, but then I always say my eyes are bigger than my stomach. My buddy Aaron Rumi on the Launchpad podcast is like, no, fuck that. Give me an hour and 50 (laughs) minutes of the Punisher and I'll take it. And I think he's right. I think I'd rather have that than the TV, the Netflix TV series, which I personally couldn't stand, where there's just so much of him sitting on a couch talking to people and you're like, (laughs) there should be zero of that. The problem with with this, John Bernthal could be the best Punisher. Agreed. I think, he, I think he's awesome. 
But the amount of times like he becomes just a mopey sod where I'm just like, I'm bored of this episode now. Don't kill someone. Like you, you're boring. He it. should never be drinking wine with someone's wife <laughs> yeah. ever. Yeah. Zero times. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's, oh, well, it's, I, there are certain things I hate uh, when they're sort of like, well, they haven't, he hasn't developed as a character yet. That works in some cases, you know, where you're like, okay, yeah, he's going to reach that level where he is Batman or he's going to reach that level where he is that character. The sure. Punisher isn't that. The Punisher doesn't develop. He happened. Like, right. It was a switch. That's the point. Right. Um, if so, anything, yeah. he should just be more Punisher, right? Yes. It's yeah. like if a shark like studied its own habits and was like, wait, I could kill more things this way. And mm. I feel like, to me, that's like the Punisher in the 90s that I read here and there. Mm. And now have gone back and read, but like read here and there and then picking up this issue, issue one of of in the beginning. And I was just like, holy shit. And he literally finishes that murder spree and we watch him walk away through a security camera feed through other characters, you know, secondary characters who end up pushing the story later. But it you don't feel an attachment with him as a character because he literally walks out of that scene and you're watching it. The fact that the writer and artist put it through a you're watching over the shoulder of another character as they're looking mm-hmm. through a security camera. You feel extra detachment from that character. He is a force of nature. And, and I was reeling, yeah. right? When I read that issue, I was like, yes, give me more. Well, the thing is, I say that I like that sort of force of nature. That's exactly what he is. Um, one of the things I would say about the structure of this, and it's why, you know, um, and Ennis is one of those ones again. Like, uh, there are times when he hits it and he hits it like hard, like when it's doing well, like it is phenomenal. Like, um, and I think this is one of those issues where, like, structurally, this is perfect for all intents and purposes. This issue is a short story of the Punisher. Absolutely, yeah. Like, like it, it could be a pitch, right? Yeah, exactly. It could be a pitch yeah. of something. Yeah, this encapsulates everything, and so the Punisher part of it is just the Punisher being the Punisher. It's those periphery characters, those secondary characters that you say are setting up the end, the the rest of the plot, and it's the reveal at the end, which is then you're like, oh, cool. You know, it's Micro that seems to be coming back in to try and bring him down. Um, that's going that's what's taking me to the to the next issue. That's the one that goes, mm. oh, cool, I want to see that. But everything the Punisher's done is like a short story. It's a small like, encapsulation of him being him. And I love that. It's almost like a statement of intent from, from Garth Ennis, who's like, yeah, this, yeah. this is the shit I'm going to do with this story. So, you know, hold on. Um, and, I think and it's really great. Cool. I read this before I read much of, I probably dabbled in Garth Ennis stuff randomly before that, but I read Preacher after, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I didn't, I read Preacher, I read Boys, which have their moments, but for me, Garth Ennis with free reign just gets like, crazy sexual deviant way too fast and too often and like i'm not saying i'm the most proper guy <laughs> but i'm pretty traditional and it's like i love the concept of the boys until at least in the first like 20 issues most of the things they were trying to turn on their head were like sexual tropes it's like yeah. oh what if what if all of these guys were like orgy monsters you're like okay and like what if batman and robin were also gay and you're like okay but it was like what if these two also as had dicks ever and i was like i can it be anything other than just that? And I feel like Punisher was like, hey, you know, you can't make it all sexual. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna make it all violent. And it's like that fit, it just fit so perfectly. Yeah. I, the thing I say about Art Garth Ennis is he's, he's very anti superhero. Like he doesn't want to sure. write and uh, 
you know, I haven't read um, Reptilian yet, the Batman story he wrote, but um, weirdly, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I find him more pointed, satirical and sharp when he is working on an established character. Mm-hmm. Like his Punisher Max stuff, his, his, that night, his uh, Marvel Knights, but also like his Constantine stuff, his Hellblazer stuff. Right. Yep. Is brilliant. You know, yeah. it's not sort of like you say, it's not sort of like, you know, dildos and cocaine spraying everywhere. Like All the time. Kept, right. Yeah. It's, it's kept within, <laughs> within, within the constraints of what's going to be. In That's going to be his biography, right? <laughs> dildos and cocaine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dildos and cocaine, the, the Garth Ennis story. Um, <laughs> So yeah, when he, when he has got those restraints, like I feel him, he is much more um, surgical. And the, like I said, the boys, I couldn't get through the first two volumes, same because of that reason. Same. Where I'm just like, I got to the yeah. second volume, I was like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm like, I get the point. I know what you're doing. I'm, I'm getting bored of it. Um, but yeah, so I, but this is this is where I think it's really good because again, like he's he's able to explore and deconstruct something that I think. Up until this point, I think it's the Punisher had been one of those characters that had been sort of a little bit people have been scared of it. Weirdly. Sure, yeah, yeah. Is it like, oh, we can't go too far because you know we're condoning gun violence and, and right. so on and so forth? And then this is where Garth Ennis is like, yeah, no, you, because you see him as a hero, like he's not the hero, right? I want to show you that like he can be manipulated to doing good things, but you know, it, going back to what we were saying before, to the end, to the you know the means justify the ends you know or the ends just for the means even like you know like in what is it in there's the the there is this the, the people trafficking one story later on isn't there mm-hmm. in the arc and you're sort of like okay he's doing good because he's saving these people but then you watch like how many more people he kills across all that and you're like yeah there's probably he literally better. drugs a house full of people like yes. all bad guys human traffickers yeah, yeah, yeah. but they literally are passed out on a table and he walks around shotgunning them yeah. and you're like if you as a human don't react slightly afraid of that, like you could cheer him on, you could cheer him on and be like, Hey, good. You're killing slavers. But you're also like, those are passed out people and you're shooting them with a shotgun. That's mm. fucking violence. Do you know what I mean? Like that's shaky to the core of violence, but it's that's that world. That's the punisher in New York city doing that. You know, that makes sense. I don't, I don't know how you cannot do that. No, I agree. Because just the thing is, like you say, the, 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 the Garth and his run is supposed to challenge you in that respect. Like you, it's supposed to say to you, like, again, you know, linking this back to sort of um, Watchmen, you know, those people that cheer on Rorschach don't understand Rorschach. You know? Correct. Right, right, right. The people that are cheering on the Punisher don't understand the Punisher. And this is where Garth Ennis is sort of challenging you to say, yeah, you, got, you keep cheering for this guy. It's okay to keep- cheer for him, right? Don't do it. Yeah, don't but, do it. But you could read this book. You could be happy that he's, you know, <clears throat> sh- kicking Ma Ganucci's Manucci's body back into the the fire. You know. Yeah, one of the things I would say though that's interesting, and this is a complete side tangent. Um, I was I read a book recently. The use of the Punisher skull. On oh, so happy you brought this up. On um police uniforms and, and military uniforms and stuff apparently can be traced back to about this time. <laughs> sure. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think if Garth Ennis has ever commented on it, but there is this sort of notion of, because this, this book sort of elevated him again, like the Punisher Max sort of like elevated this sort of thing, an awareness of it. And so there is a suggestion that these books and the sort of that's, that became 
around this time. So it's, but again, that's people completely misunderstanding the intent. So what were you going to say about it? Well, the punish, the, it's funny because I think you and I both poo-poo the, the white and black superhero Punisher outfit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I just love that iconic skull shirt. And I'm, I'm proud to admit that I have a Punisher shirt collection mm-hmm. of all different, you know, variations and models, some of which I've actually like had someone customize for me. I think last count, I was almost at 20, 20 different and I don't mean like slightly different. I mean like different iterations yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. Um, I think it's so cool. I think, you know, when you read a book I, and there's plenty of Garth Ennis books where he doesn't have the shirt, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's not him. But when he, you do have like a full page splash of him turning around with a shotgun and he's got the skull, you know, emblazoned, right? It just looks so fucking cool. But you're right. It is, a, you know, it's funny. And, and this is an interesting thing to, you know, a lot of people think about and talk about comic books as modern mythology. These are mythical characters that we can look up to or back away from, you know, as cautionary tales, as um, inspiring tales. I was going to say, yeah, I guess like, you know, cops or gun nuts or whoever could be behind John Wick too. John Wick doesn't have a symbol. There's nothing you can put on your window to show. I mean, not nothing, but you know what I mean? There's not something you can do to be like, Hey, I love John Wick, but the Punisher, boom, you got that skull. doesn't matter. The design doesn't matter anything. Right. Yeah, It's it's Um, pretty interesting. No, it is. It is interesting. They need that symbol, don't they? To sort of like to, you know, root behind and that sort of thing. And so I do find that interesting that, that that sort of thing. It always tends to be the bad guy, not the bad guys, but you know, there's a certain type of people that do that. Sure. You know, you never sort of see sort of um there's not a know. ton of Captain America ones. There's more Punisher ones. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But even like, you know, I, I, I you don't see like a bunch of sort of like people working for, you know, United Nations or I don't know, some some sort of like aid relief firm, you know, with like the with the like the you know on, on there's just everyone wearing the green lantern symbol you know what i mean like no one the, the sort of like these people doing good in the world never seem to co-opt a symbol I, I, I that's what i want to see you know this is people at the fucking united nations are not reading comic books they're like changing world <laughs> policy right like <laughs> they're making sure that an adrian veidt doesn't fucking teleport a monster in the middle of a city they're trying to keep that shit from going down dude Maybe that's the maybe that's what's missing. But like world <laughs> politics would be a lot simpler if they were all sat around going like, "Have you have you read, have you read the latest detective <laughs> comics?" Oh man, yeah. That be I, that would be cool if you did that at the end of like the actual like real important political bullshit <laughs> meeting. Yeah. Like, okay, twenty minutes to talk about comics. Did you guys see Moon Knight last night? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And like, can you imagine like across nations people talking about that? Yeah, see, that's, that's it. Comics bring pop culture and nerddom, bringing people together. That'd be amazing. Well, well, one, can I, are we going to jump to the next one? I want to say one more thing about the yeah, shirt. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. And this is a little bit of a, well, it's a huge self plug. What's your favorite, what was your favorite Punisher movie or, or on screen Punisher, I guess I should say? Um, Total, all given, not just looks, everything. Put it, put it this way the only one I own on Blu ray is the Dolph Lundgren one. <laughs> Fair, fair. Uh, I own all of them. I even own mm. two of the fucking Tom Jane one because uh, I'm a completionist. Um, I hate that one the most, but I agree. The Dolph London Punisher is my favorite and it's baller. What's the one thing that it's missing? The Yeah, the, the shirt, right? 
So a couple of years ago, two years, I th- uh, three years ago, I was lucky enough to finagle an interview with him. So I sat down with, with Dolph with London. Dolph. We talk- oh. Dolph London. Oh, dude, I remember we got- the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we got to do the secret. We mm. for that Launchpad podcast, we have a very secret handshake. We got to do the handshake <laughs> with him. He was awesome. Super cool guy. Super chill. He got the jokes about like that the Punisher and He-Man were not the best movies and stuff. But he was super cool. And the whole thing was I was like, hey, I will buy you a Punisher shirt if you will take some pictures with us. And we sat down. Before the interview, he was like, let me see the pictures that you want to read. I wanted to recreate some famous comic book images mm. of the Punisher with him. <clears throat> so I showed him a whole bunch of images that, you know, I showed him like 12 and he picked two. He said, I'll only do this if it doesn't look silly. And I said, that's the last thing we want. We want this to be bitching. So I got him a classic, you know, plain Jane Punisher skull. Mm-hmm. And I brought a bunch of airsoft guns and we took a bunch of we took a bunch of pictures of him next to this pool at this Beverly Hills hotel after the interview. And he had fun with it. He was doing cool. He's like, I was like, keep it. He's like, thanks. I'm gonna work out with it tomorrow. I was like, how fucking cool is that? <laughs> but he chose the original Spider-Man cover where Punisher first appears, the yellow cover where he's holding yes. the, you know, the gun and Spider-Man. And then he did an image from Punisher Max, this series issue seven i think no issue nine mm-hmm. it's kitchen irish and it is the f- title splash of the page where shit starts going down in a bar and it's punisher turning around to shoot guys behind him yes so we did this whole big photoshop thing with him he's in the in the shirt we did this the cover is him shooting at me in a spider-man shirt upside down in the pose so i have that and then the kitchen irish book which is another great fucking story that's mm-hmm. leonardo for uh, leandro fernandez art um he's turned around like this we didn't have the right gun on the day so i bought the correct looking shotgun that he's blasting guys with and we changed the hands out so it's my hand on dolph lundgren's body for that <laughs> image and if you go to our websites or if you look me up you can find it um and he's shooting me and aaron so me and my roommate nice. with the podcast he's blowing us away and it was like that was like a life goal that I didn't know I thought I had was to just get <laughs> Dolph Lundgren in that Punisher shirt. And the coolest part is he picked those images. Mm. I own that original art of him turning around the Leandro Fernandez from Kitchen Iris. So I actually have that page framed. And I also have Dolph Lundgren shooting me in the exact same. It's awesome. Man. That, oh, that, that's so cool. That's, uh, there's not many people that turn up for interviews. Like, I mean, you must have got that thing where he's like, okay, we can ask questions. And, we, you know, is there anything you don't want us to cover? And, all the other kinds of, and you're like, dude, um, got a T-shirt and I've got some nerf <laughs> well, guns. It was, it was like, and it was months of him. Like, he kept being like, yes, let's do it. But we're going to Turkey to do a shoot for two months. And I was like, he's blowing me off. And then they came back and we're like, okay, you want to try it next month? We talk about dates, dates. Oh, we're going to Bulgaria to shoot a movie for a week. And it like literally, but I was like, he can't be blowing me off because they keep contacting back. me back. And like, I don't, if you, if the answer is no, tell me no. But, and I will never give up. If you tell me no, okay. But if you don't look me in the eye and say no, I will come after you. Yeah. And I kept coming and I was talking to his, uh, his, his uh, assistant. And his assistant, like, he's like, bring all the stuff. He's not guaranteeing it, but we'll talk about it when you get here. So I was like, fuck. I ordered a shit ton of airsoft guns from specific mm-hmm. images. And it was literally like I was tracking the UPS guy because Dolph London, not Dolph London, but his assistant called me the night before and was like, can you make it to this Beverly Hills hotel tomorrow? I was like, 
Yes, but my fucking guns are going to be in transit. So I wasn't able to get those guns, but luckily I, luckily I had other airsoft guns. But like... <laughs> it's awesome. That's awesome, though. Like, you know, it makes me want to sort of turn up. Yeah, there'll be people like, you know, I would love to meet and be like, uh, I've got this. Can we get some photos? Yeah, as a kid, I always wanted you to wear this. Will you wear this? Yeah. And he's like, okay. <laughs> that That's cool. Yeah, but Punisher t-shirts, fine. Turning up with sort of like, you know, bra and suspenders and talking to Bruce Campbell. That's a different story. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I was going to say, just about sort of the character, is the art. If someone mentioned the artwork, I love the fact that like this is like craggy old. Um, it's Clint Eastwood. Clint it literally Eastwood. is modeled after Clint Eastwood. And if you look, there are certain pictures that look just like, like Clint Eastwood. It was done on purpose because he's supposed to be in his 60s. And I don't know that that helps ground the story, too. Mm. You know, and for me, this is like a desert island book because this is John Wick where I can I don't there's I won't watch a movie usually unless I see the start all the way. I'm not going to watch it. You know, I'm not going to watch a scene of a movie. Yeah, I'd watch a scene of John Wick. I'd watch a scene of Terminator. I'd watch a scene of Punisher Max. So this is my uh, popcorn, popcorn yes. movie on the desert island. It's not really very deep or layered like we're talking about Watchmen, but damn, if I'm yeah, in the mood yeah. for some violence, good action movie, baby. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, we will move on then. Final, the final book in the in the stream that is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man One Thirty One. Uh, should tie into Ultimatum. So go on and hit, hit us with this one. This is a bit later on. This is uh, uh, the Ultimate Universe and Bendis doing Spider-Man. This is my hard one mm. to come up with for you. And this is the one I was hoping I would get to like make the game day play right now and figure out what, what I was going to talk about. But Spider-Man, Spider-Man for me is probably the best hero. Um, he's the one I aspire to most. Daredevil might be my favorite. I might relate more to Daredevil, but um, the guy who just took over writing on Amazing Spider-Man now, his name is Zeb Wells, and it's actually a, a buddy of mine. We had him on our show a while ago, and we were shooting the shit about different heroes, and he said, Spider-Man is the guy you aspire to be like. Mm -hmm. mm. And even more so than Soups or Captain America, Spider-Man, he's got a girlfriend for the most part. He always tries to do the right thing. And if he gets knocked on his ass, he gets back up and does it. You know, he just tries harder. Even if it breaks his own heart, he does it. And even if it's a show, he does it with a smile. He does it with a joke. There's an innocence in Spider-Man in, in almost any book, even the books where he's dark and gritty in the 80s. He's still, spy if, if done well, he's still Spider-Man. And, you know, there's so much to, I, I can't think of it of a hero that's like him, you know what I mean? In that regard of just pure, he's pure. So I really wanted my last book to be a Spider-Man book. And again, <clears throat> whereas Ozymandias would kind of inspire me to do better, Spider-Man does that in a more subtle way. And ha have you seen No Way Home? Yes. Yeah, yeah. In No Way Home, there's a scene where um, Willem Dafoe looks at Tobey Maguire and he's like, Peter, how have you been? And Peter and Toby Maguire, who I despise as an actor, choked me up by him saying, you know, I'm trying to be better. Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck, that is a Spider-Man thing. To, that is an older, wiser Spider-Man thing to say. So 
and I know a lot of Spider-Man books. I have Spider I have Spider-Man books that literally make me cry when I read them. I can't write I can't read them without crying, but they break my heart. I can't bring that to the desert island. So I'm trying to think. In the issue before I picked, which is 130, a giant tidal wave wipes out New York City. And I mean, if you haven't read Ultimatum, the Ultimatum main storyline is pretty silly and not great. A lot of people don't like it. Nice art, whatever. I mean, come on. Christopher, uh, David Finch doing uh, Magneto. Get out of here. Can't, yeah. can't do cooler than that. But anyway, <clears throat> it, it, it wipes out New York. And if you guys aren't familiar with Ultimate Spider-Man, he's younger. He's in high school and perpetually like in high school. But there's, again, that innocence, that pureness. And I love the way Bendis writes him and his circle of friends. He's with Mary Jane. He's got Gwen. Uh, uh, Aunt May knows he's Spider-Man. Uh, there is a clone Spider-Man that is essentially a female version of Peter who also is like a Spider-Woman. Um, and, and all these characters, I think, are just they're just so heartwarming. And I love that series. This wave hits and just fucking knocks. It's knocking buildings over. People are drowning. And in issue 130, Spider-Man is losing his mind. And he's like, oh, my, literally swinging around going, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he's rescuing people. And people are like, what happened? And he's like, I don't fucking know. And he's just scooping people up. And, you know, there's a cab that's, you know, drowning in the water. He pulls the cab up into a web. He takes a woman onto a roof. He goes back to the cab to get the cab driver. And we don't see it, but the cab driver's dead. And Spider-Man just sits down defeated in the web and is crying and i'm like this is a teenage boy who we've watched yeah. fight green goblin and all this other shit how would you deal with a 9-11 type situation right and i like even though the ultimatum storyline blah 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 tidal wave hits new york city and i was like shit that's this is this is like a heartfelt issue and you think it's it looks like it's just this main this event the marvel events but like it hit me the issue ends, issue 131, it's got a gray, you know, ultimate Incredible Hulk, looks like he's about to smash Spider-Man. So I was like, oh, we're just back to normal superhero bullshit now? The issue starts with J. Jonah Jameson, and him, Ben Urich, and his crew are in a satellite office. And he is complaining to Robbie, I vilified Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a hero all these years. And then you turn the page and there's a double page splash of J. Jonah Jameson alone in a conference room. And you're in the conference room with him. And you're looking out at a corner view of this out building. And New York City is just literally underwater. Yeah. There's cabs and bodies floating. And there's Spider-Man swinging down and grabbing a woman. And it is so fucking stunning. Like... Again, I, I actually own that double page splash after years of hounding and, and getting it. But like it, it to me, I've never cared about J. Jonah Jameson until that moment. Mm. I now every time I see or read J. Jonah Jameson, I think about that. I think that somewhere in that character's timeline, that's going to happen. And that tidal wave is almost going to crush him into realizing that he vilified this almost angelic figure. Right. And I'm like, shit. The rest of that issue is then Spider-Man, he meets the Hulk, and all we know in the Ultimate Universe about the Hulk is he's a monster. And Spider-Man is terrified that he's going to smash him. But Spider-Man keeps his cool and is like, Hulk, I'm your friend. We need to help these people. And he kind of like coaches Hulk almost like a um, 
almost like an insolent child or like a child that has some sort of special needs, he almost coddles Hulk into helping rescue people, into doing his thunderclap to knock out fires of buildings. Mm-hmm. And, and Spider-Man is terrified of not only whatever is happening in this ultimatum scenario, but now he's got the Hulk, who at most is a, a you know, I don't know, but like a tumultuous ally. Like maybe this is okay, or maybe he will it smash. It can turn on a dime. People. It always feels like it could turn on a dime. It's and Spider-Man good. knows that. And reading mm. Bendis's writing, you're like, this kid is now scared shitless. But the last issue, which I actually think is a stronger issue, 130, he's petrified and he's losing it in 131. He kind of gets his shit together to where he even finds dead Matt Murdock and holds his body and is like, fuck. Okay. I have to move on. I have to keep saving these people. Um, And I, I just think that's fantastic. And then at the end, the Hulk turns back into the Bruce banner, looks around immediately thinks he did that. Yeah. You know, the ultimatum shit turns back into the Hulk and then tries to smash Spider-Man. Spider-Man swings almost to uh, 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 Dr. Stranger's sanctum and sees there's like a car in the middle of it and all these demons <laughs> popping out. And that's how the episode, uh, this issue ends. And I remember it's a very Spider-Man issue because there's like four or five huge things. Mm. But this emotional moment with JJJ at the beginning and then Spider-Man being like, OK, New York City has been nuked. All I know is that I can save some of these people. And now I have a monster here who might help me. And I just like that Spider-Man and, and Spider-Man's making his jokes and doing his best and trying to do that. And to me, that's like, not only is that my favorite character, but when I'm on a desert Island and I'm whining about whatever bullshit is happening to me, I'm like, okay, if this fucking 16 fake, fake 16 year old kid, that's not real. <laughs> survive a giant you know fake wave and a giant fake monster i can open this coconut or whatever else i'm trying to do you know so (laughs) i can make fun (laughs) yeah 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 i I think you're right it is it's it's a fantastic issue like i said the images are great that's that splash page as you say sort of shows um and it's again it's so sort of the use of space and it's like so sparse but so much is going on like you see you know it's a massive conference room and just uh jay jenner jameson in that corner and then it's clearly it's underwater, and I'm I'm going like, geez, how's that glass holding up against that? But right, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, got... it's, a, it's a comic book. It's a comic no, book. No, no, yeah, but I can, but you know, that's the like. There's a moment of fear, but then you see Spider-Man is also saving this woman, and that's what's the sort of like uh, is absorbing his attention. And so I love that. I love that. That sort of like the moment of terror is actually he's not even looking at it going like these windows are about to smash. He's looking and seeing Spider-Man do his thing. And I did, I really enjoyed that. The other side of that, though, as well, is I say with the Hulk, is you sort of, um, you mentioned like he returns to Bruce Banner because he calms him down. Like he actually, mm-hmm. like, the thing is like uh, Spider Man calms Hulk down and he returns to Banner. And as you say, like Banner's instant response is like, did I do this? Like, what have I done? And he turns to Spider Man, he's like, you've got to kill me. And Spider-Man's like, yeah, like, no, I, I can't do that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's literally the opposite of what I do. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And it's actually his his like his anger at not being killed that drives him back to becoming the Hulk, and he becomes Rage Hulk again. Um, and I like that. Like the, the sort of again, this hit of like you know, like it's, it's not Spider-Man, but like this thing of Banner, this sort of desperation of like, no, I'm sick and tired of doing this. Like someone's got to kill me. 
Um, and it being Spider-Man, who's like the latest, like the last person that's going to possibly could. I don't know because I don't know how sort of strong they've leveled up Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe. But like, mm-hmm. it's that moment he's like, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Which and it's like that's that's a and this is why I love comic books. I mean, any art, but like comic books is because that's your takeaway from that literal moment of the comic. Mine is imagine you're this kid, kid, teenage mm. boy. You've now saved a bunch of people, but seen a shit ton of dead bodies. You're in this cataclysmic event that at this point, Xavier has now beamed into your brain and told you it was Magneto, but you don't really know what that means. Yeah. You don't know what has happened or what will happen. All you know is it is in your fucking DNA to save as many people as you can. Now you have the Hulk. You've now coddled him and tricked him into helping you, but you're always waiting now you've chilled him out to the point where he's Bruce Banner. My first thought would be, oh, God, thank God I don't have to deal with that anymore. Then all of a sudden in, you know, 30 seconds, that escalates back into the Hulk and you can't control him. Yep. And that's that old Parker luck, right? Of like, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I calmed that situation down. I can focus on this. Now you're the Hulk in destroy mode. And then he swings away into Doctor Strange's fucking house blowing up with demons, which then they start to fight the next issue. But, like, it's just that thing of, like, what could go wrong now? And then it does. And just Spider-Man as a character, Peter Parker just takes it on the chin Mm. and just keeps going. And to me, this issue, that's what that's about. And that's the message that I take from that when I read that. And I... I think my scared ass would need that on a desert island. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good message to be having. Like, yeah, just keep on going. Like, you know, like you say, it's that thing, isn't it, of um, the cliche, but it's true. It's sort of like you're going to get knocked down, but you've got to get back up again. Like, yeah. You know, you've got to keep going. The world won't stop for you, and it won't, it ain't going to stop for Peter Parker. So you've got to stand up and, and keep going. The bit where he finds Daredevil, um, and it, it, again is a, like a, it's a moment like, like mm-hmm. sort of like say and i like the fact that you make a really good point of it's not like with bendis you know he, i know he sometimes sort of decom you know he sort of decompresses these things and they become quite long-winded but it's not like you know in some cases i'm sure they'd have like a whole issue of them dealing with the death of you know sure. with someone as sort of substantial as daredevil but it's not like it's literally a couple of panels because it's like at, at this moment, this is the least of this right. Is the, like, We've got the other least, shit going on. Yeah, this is the, the least shitty thing to be going on. So I will deal with this later, and it it moves on. And I think, as you say, that sort of speaks volumes. In you know that when the death of Daredevil, which is a major character, is just passed over in a couple of panels, and you're like, oh, okay, that really makes me realize how sort of like you know dire everything else is. Um, so it is good. It, it, it's, it's an interesting issue. And I love that scene, too, because I, 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 the Ultimate Spider-Man was no joke. Another book that I picked up in Midtown Comics, maybe even the same day as I picked up Punisher Max, mm. where I was like, this looks like it was the Bendis, uh, the, the Bendis, the Bagley, uh, smashy, uh, splashy covers. Yeah. I was like, this looks like a fun Spider-Man book to just read through. And I was instantly hooked. And... um. 
throughout that series, and I love that series, Daredevil pops up a couple times, but he's, he, even though Bendis, we know Bendis loves Daredevil, he doesn't focus on him a lot. And mm-hmm. there's one or two times where Daredevil does something where he's kind of, you know, doing something over Spider-Man's head. He's kind of doing something where he's like, hey, kid, I'll take care of this. And at one point, I think I think Daredevil goes to his school or something like that and somehow nudges Parker, hey, come up to the roof, something like that. But it's like he crosses the civilian line and Peter gets, you know, Spider-Man gets in his face and he's like, if you do that again, there will be problems. And you're like, Peter Parker knows that Daredevil's an adult. They're drawn that way. Yeah. But the fact that he's like, that crosses the line, pal, I thought that was great. And they do butt heads a couple times. And in that issue that we're talking about, 131, as Peter's, uh, you know, Peter, Spider-Man's holding Daredevil, he says, we never, we didn't always see eye to eye. We butted heads a lot, but I respected him a lot. Mm. And I think like, I mean, what 16, 17 year old has that sort of wherewithal, but we're in a comic book, right? The fact that in the middle of that, he did have his moment to grieve. He did say we're professional friends, I guess you could call it. But I got to put you down now and I got to go save people yeah. and deal with the Incredible Hulk. You know, it's like it, it really is one of those moments like it's the opposite of Superman's death where there's mm. issues and issues and issues <laughs> dealing with it. Like you said, we got a couple panels and then we got to move on, man. And I think that's really again, that's Bendis's writing. And I think Bendis loves that character. Mm. And I think that makes a difference like any anyone telling you the story if they care about the story you're inclined to care more about it and the characters and i think that's a great example of it and that scene you could shed that one single tear especially if you're a daredevil fan i told you guys daredevil i love him but that's not what we're here for you know no <coughs> it's a solid piece and that, but it's, it's beautifully done it is so well done um, but it is a good issue i mean it's it's, it's an interest in um <clears throat> it's an interesting insert issue as well insert is in that middle issue like i don't know what's i read this cold i didn't read just by itself yeah didn't read 130 oh. didn't read 132 um i don't, sometimes if i get the chance to do that because obviously that's what is going to be on the desert island i'm not going to have 130 i'm not going to have 130 sure yeah yeah so if i don't know it i like to just read that issue um, which I couldn't, you know, obviously with Watchmen, I've, I've read it a number of times. Punisher Max, I've read it a number of times. So this one I like when I can pick it up and go, I go into this cold. Like I know love nothing it, I about love this it. issue. So to open it up and I'm like, oh, London, uh, New York's been flooded by this tidal wave and you're getting the information through. And so this is one of those issues where uh, one of the ones that's on the recent ones of while back was an incredible Hulk issue uh, from the sort of the... Uh, one of the big ones, I forget the name of the writer, but um, it was, Peter it was David. yes, thank you, John yeah, Byrne. yeah, those yeah, Peter, Peter David one. And I read that and I was like, I want to read more of this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I really want to know more about this. Like, it's sort of like it hasn't spoiled anything, but I can go and I'd, I'd love to read more. And this was another one where I read, I read this and I was like, damn it, this is wet my appetite. No, it's just, yeah, I now have 130 issues to read to catch up oh, to this yeah. one. <laughs> Just yeah, a, it's, it's a great series and it's a great jumping on point like for me uh i do programs in elementary schools and stuff we're bringing comics in mm. that's one of my go-tos because it is accessible and it's a it, you know who in either of our countries who doesn't know about spider-man yeah exactly. my mom yeah can tell you a little bit about spider-man you know um certainly not the nuances certainly not any one storyline but she knows about him mm-hmm. This story, I think, is almost like, uh, you know, 
the the if, if you guys don't know the ultimate universe the ultimate universe is a little different than marvel's main universe different characters are different different secret identities are different people get their powers different ways people die or live different ways but it's a lot of the essentials are still there a lot of the essential elements and i feel like this one really boiled it down if you don't care about the continuity of regular spider-man if you start with Ultimate Spider-Man and just get into it, it's just a fantastic story. But I got to tell you, dude, you need to read at least 130 because okay. 131 will hit you harder because you do see him losing his shit in 130. And then in 131, you see he pulls on his big boy pants and is like, okay, <laughs> I had my freak out. I got to get this done now. And it's just, wow. It's like, I mean, it's Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man yeah. for me. It's There's a hundred books I could tell you that that is that. But this is the one I guess I'm going to bring to the island. No, that's great because I think like it's that standing up and, and and carrying on, isn't it? Going through adversity because we all make you know mistakes happen, shit happens. You've got to keep working through it because the world ain't going to stop for you. So um, neither is the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, yeah, it's it's a great issue, and I think it will. I think I'm definitely I'm definitely going to try 130 at least. But then I, there is that I am that temptation. Having said that, I am looking at the, my my wall of to read over there. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it at some point in my 70s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when I retire. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. Um, but yeah, but anyway, any final thoughts on 132, uh, 131? Um, it's a standout for me, but there's a lot of standouts for that whole run. But like I mm. said, at the beginning of, the, of this episode, I lost sleep over this, man. <laughs> I thought like I must have read another five issues of different books being like, is this the one? May put it in the maybe pile, you know. And I really try to think about without cheating and picking stuff that was like how to make shelter, you know, uh, you know how to make how to fashion a radio out of coconuts or whatever comic book. I wanted to pick ones that would I would actually be. Oh, I'm glad I crashed with this on the boat. Mm. And these three, I stand by them very hard. And I think this is a great Spidey issue. The Punisher one is a great Punisher issue. And Watchmen, you really can't just read one of the 12 if you don't know the 12. But um, whereas I feel like Punisher, the Punisher issue I picked in the Spider-Man, you could read that as a standalone. I mean, Definitely. one starts a story, one's in the middle of a story, but it tells you, you you're there. It's a self-contained adventure. But both of those... Yeah, if you if you were to sort of start with if you if you started your comic book career with with Watchmen issue eleven, Watchmen eleven, <laughs> I, th I think you're jumping the gun slightly. That might even be put people off. That's like saying sort of like you know you you can learn to read. That's fantastic. Here's Tolstoy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you ever watch a movie or a TV show that you think is at the beginning, but then you're like. This is not the first episode, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I've done that before. Remember VHS movies that were like long, like The Godfather, they'd have two tapes. <laughs> two tapes. You ever put tape two in by accident first? I feel yeah. like reading issue 11 of Watchmen before reading any other comics would be like that, but for an entire medium, right? Yeah. You'd be like, is this how it all is? What's <laughs> going on? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, no, they're all this good. They're all up there. <laughs> You see the butterfly? Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they all have this level of metaphor and theme. Um, oh, my God. But yeah, it, it is a good issue. It's, 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 it, um, it's, if you were to read it first, it does spoil a lot. You need to read the whole book. But if you know oh, it, it, sure. is, it is a fantastic issue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, love, I agree. I think that's sort of the opening issue of Punisher. 
acts as I said, like almost as, as a one shot. Like you know, you get the tease and there's the, some stuff for what the the ongoing story is going to be, but it acts as a fantastic entry point to the character. But more than anything, I always think back to, I think it was like a Stanleyism, but that's sort of like every issue. I think others have said as well, but every issue could be someone's first issue of a comic. Yeah, yeah, right. And you're right. I think one thirty one, or Punisher Max number one could easily be someone's first comic, and you're like, <clears throat> right. You know, if you had that person, you were like, oh, you were going to dig this. Like, you know, oh, I don't really read comics. You go, like, well, you're going to dig this. Like, try mm-hmm. this. And I think you could give those sort of, and, and hopefully it would get people onto that sort of journey. Um, we can't be friends if you're not. If you read those books and are like, never mind. I'm like, yeah, yeah. contacts list. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Well, it was nice to meet you. Moving on. Yeah, right. <laughs> Have fun with your life. Yeah. But yeah, I think so. I, th- I, I agree. So, I, you know, I will definitely sort of at some point at some point in my reading career uh get into ultimate spider-man but we shall see but i've, I've you know the other two i love i love potion max so it's a great run um, at least do ultimate spider-man 130 oh just do that one give me those do. 20 give me those 22 pages in the next week or so just to buttress the two pieces together then you could do the run whenever you want to do the run but at least yeah. give it 130 you i will i'll jump on i will jump on amazon tomorrow and get it on the now awful user interface that is comics or comicsology. I, but, for this episode, I just refreshed that to make that happen. And I was like, what did you do? Yeah. Why are you fixing stuff that's not broken? Well, they were breaking stuff in order to, so, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into it. It was rather frustrating. I can't subscribe to anything on, on comicsology anymore outside the US. I have to buy, every, if I was going to use it, I have to buy every issue individually. It's very frustrating. What? Yep. So all my all my pull list just disappeared overnight. So I get to keep all my old issues that I've got digitally. But yeah, I almost so I've gone back to physical for the time being. Yeah, I mean I don't blame you. I only did I only do Comicsology and Marvel Unlimited because of how much I was traveling. It's mm. easier and it's cheaper, but I would much rather hold a book. And I almost always end up buying anything I like a little bit digital. I'll buy it in a book because I want to hold it. I want to have it in my hand. Yeah, I've got, yeah, and I like to have things, certain things on the shelf and all that kind of thing. Anyway, that's complete tangent for another, another, yeah, another podcast. But I will, you know, uh, I've had now uh, one of the roomies of, of the Launchpad podcast. I will at some point, you know, I've got to get Aaron on to, to do his stories. I'd be interested to see what, what books he would pick as well. At some oh, point. I would be interested too. I'm sure he's going to listen to this and I can't wait to listen to his. Um, can I give us a little plug? Tell everyone where to find Go it. Go for me. it. Exactly. Yeah. Where can they find you? So we are the Launchpad Podcast. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us anywhere where there's pod podcasts. It's the Launchpad Podcast. Our website is launchpadpodcast.com. Launchpadpod.com. And on all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is launchpadpod. Yeah. There'll be a so link hit us up there. And if you like Scott's stuff, I mean, 20th Century Geek is just Fantastic. We listen to you. We uh, Scott has done a bunch of art for us before for <laughs> multiple different things. Um, we've been podcasting friends and nerd friends for a while and just taking nerdy trips together. So if you like his stuff, come check our stuff out. I know our guys love your stuff, too. So oh, yeah. cross pollination up anyone. Who, yeah. Anyone who sort of has enjoyed anything like, you know, this is just me picking up, you know, finding random people to to. But if you want to go sit and listen to what Matt and Aaron have done, like it's awesome. Like some of your conversations and the tangents you go on. <laughs> yeah, you think this was you think you hit a tangent before. Yeah. Whoa. Some of them you don't want your mom to listen to. Some of them your mom will probably laugh at. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but make sure you've listened to it first. Don't don't dip in and test that theory. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair warning. I don't think we're very vulgar or anything, but we do talk about interesting pizza toppings from time to time, and that is not family friendly. Yeah, but yeah, I, I you know I do. I love your podcast. It's uh, accompany me on many a commute. <clears throat> I appreciate that. That that means a lot, man, because you know your stuff, and you know we're uh, 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 nerd brothers, nerd brothers from. I was gonna say other mothers, but different countries. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's a nerd community that, that just you know around the world, and that's what I love. That's why I was cool. It's, doing it's awesome. Stuff. Yeah, and as you say, you know, you are going to be contributing. To, you are contributing to the book, the Moon Knight book that we are working on at the moment. <clears throat> it's coming together. I'm editing that, which is uh, sometimes fun, mostly fun, and sometimes it's sort of like you know, okay, it's I'm work. Watching. It's it's nerd. I call it nerd work. It's still work, but it, it is. It's, yeah, every once in a while, I start complaining. I'm like. Dude, you had to read 20 comics for work. Like, yeah. chill out. You know? That's okay. it. I, I actually got to a point, I was reading quite a lot of comics today, and I was like, oh, I'm kind of bored of doing this. And then I, sort of, I, I caught myself and I was like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking complained about reading comics. Anyway, <clears throat> we should wrap up. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you do enjoy this, uh, do go check out the Launchpad Pod. You will not be sorry. It's fantastic. Uh, but if you like what we're doing, uh, leave a review. Go into your podcast catcher. We're all over the place. Go on there, four stars, five stars. Doesn't matter any feedback. We appreciate it all. Uh, but if you really like what we're doing, we have got the Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash 20CG Media. And we're on there doing all kinds of bits and pieces. One of the things I'm doing there with my other uh, podcast partner from the other stories at Time and Space is we are going through the Twilight Zone episode by episode. Me and Julian Darius uh, analyzing and talking about every episode of the Twilight Zone. And that's been a real blast. Go check that out. There'll be a link down below. And there will be a link down to... Uh, podcast uh, launchpadpod.com so go check out those guys as well but matt it's been an absolute blast having you on i've really enjoyed it yeah dude i thought that was gonna like be long but we were on for a while but that felt fast i could do that i will go on a desert island with you anytime man yeah man, we will you'll be back and i'm definitely gonna get Aaron on as well to talk here. <laughs> get, get the pair i want you know like that sort of the deluxe twin pack i want them both oh, so we can make fun and rip each other's shit apart yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it well you come on here talk about that and then you do your podcast where you basically criticize each other's books and then i can sit back and listen to that <laughs> yeah. I'm on, right. we'll do it I'll, I'll get them on board excellent all right guys thank you very much for listening i uh, hope you enjoy the show and i shall talk to you again soon mm-hmm.